Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that the word is near us. Uh, thank you the Lord Jesus has come. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to be uh, awed by who he is tonight. Father, help us to get a bigger picture of him uh, and the wonder it is to be known and loved and saved by him. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help me uh, preach your word clearly and I pray that you would give us all hearts uh, to receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if I were to ask you uh, to name five things uh, in your life that you don't think you can live without, uh, what would you say? Um, perhaps coffee in the morning, um, maybe your car or bike. Um, a survey conducted out of the States um, a couple of years ago revealed the top five uh, items or services that people in our day and age uh, don't think they can live without. And here they are from number five up to number one. A premium mattress, uh, that's number five. People want to have a premium mattress in their life. A clothes dryer, I think that's more American than Australian, personally. We've got a son here that does the drying. Um, number three, having a pet. Can't live without a pet. Number four, and this was a close one to the fifth one, smartphone. How many of you have already sent a message since you've been sitting there? Don't sh raise your hands, I don't want to know. Um, and closely number five is Wi-Fi internet. We simply cannot live without Wi-Fi. Uh, now, as much as I do think most of us are addicted to certain things like our smartphones uh, and Wi-Fi, the reality is uh, we wouldn't actually stop living if we didn't have them. Uh, life would go on, and some might say in a happier direction even. Uh, but what God's word is telling us tonight is that there is actually one thing, or one person rather, that we truly can't live without, and that's God. Uh, it's the big message that dominates all through uh, Deuteronomy and actually runs through the entire Bible. If um, we cannot live without God, if we live without God, uh, that is, if he is not the object of our love, if he does not rule our life, we're actually not really living at all. Uh, now, we might go about walking and talking, making friends, getting jobs, uh, but the Bible says that we'll actually be spiritually lifeless if we don't have God. Cut off from the eternal life and the spiritual blessings that flow out of being in relationship with him. And you see, Deuteronomy 30 is honing in on that message. It's telling us that we can't live without God. We need him more than we need our phones, our friends, even our family. Uh, so no matter where you're at with God tonight, whether you're a Christian or not yet a Christian or just unsure about the whole thing, uh, God's message of life from Deuteronomy chapter 30 is for you. You see, in this passage, God is declaring to us all the way of life. He's saying that life, the life he offers to us comes through turning back to him in what the Bible calls repentance and then holding fast to him in what the Bible calls faith. So what we'll do tonight is think about those two big ideas as they apply to Israel and as they apply to us today. So first, life is found in turning back to God, verses 1 to 10. 
Uh, now, as we heard last week, the pe- people of Israel were warned, warned uh, of all the curses that would fall on them if they were to turn away from trusting God and keeping his word in the promised land. Uh, God was clear with Israel that he wasn't going to turn a blind eye to their sin and their idolatry. And in chapter 29, Moses reiterates that message by giving them a pretty bleak prophecy of their future, their persistent rejection of God and the ultimate judgment that they'll experience uh, in exile from the promised land. Deuteronomy 29 verse 28 reads, Therefore the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from the land and thrust them into another land as it is now. See, Moses is telling Israel that in future generations, they are going to learn the hard way that you cannot live without God. If you cast him out of your life, you will ultimately be cast out of life, full stop. But what's gloriously hopeful about today's passage in Deuteronomy 30 is that we find out that judgment is not the last word. Despite Israel's persistent rejection of God, God will mercifully refuse to completely reject Israel. If Israel turns back to God with a heart that loves him and and obeys him, God will welcome her with open arms. See, look at what it says in the start of our passage in your Bibles. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart, that is, you kind of come to your senses, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will what? laugh at you and tell you to get lost, tell you that he needs time to think about it. Now look at what it says. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. So if Israel repents, that is, if the people turn from following idols and rejecting God's word and start loving God once more and listening to his word, then God will lift his heavy hand of judgment from them. God will welcome them back into the land and give them life again. So here's the point of verses 1 to 10. Life returns to Israel as Israel returns to God. Life comes through repentance See, this passage gives us a wonderful picture of God's mercy. It tells us that repentance does not simply mean that we are saved from something, which we are, but saved to something. If Israel turns back to God, they won't just avoid more of God's wrath. They will experience the richness of God's blessing. See, look at how Moses unpacks for Israel the glorious change of circumstances that she'll experience in the future if, after rejecting God and being exiled, she turns back to him. See, look, in verses 4 and 5, instead of being scattered in judgment among the nations, God will gather her back in his compassionate arms. 
Instead of living in a land riddled with death and disease, God will make them prosperous in the land. He'll increase the fruit of their womb, the young of the livestock, the crops of the land, verse 9. Instead of Israel being a punching bag for their enemies, they'll experience the satisfaction of seeing God's justice rain down upon the heads of those who hate them, verse 7. Instead of being a source of grief to God through their sin, the Lord will again delight in them, verse 9. Instead of the curse of death hanging over their heads, God will pour out life and blessings and they will live, end of verse 6. Life returns to Israel as Israel returns to God, the source of life. I wonder if you've ever had that experience where kind of like a really health-conscious friend tells you all about the dangers of the fast food you eat and how much better off you'll be if you just simply give it up. Maddie, um, <laughs> co-leader in Bible study here. Um, now, I suspect that many of us hear the words of our co-leader in Bible study or our friend, and in theory, we agree it will be better, but then we never actually change, do we? See, why would we not listen to that good and possibly life-extending advice? Well, I actually think it's simple. I don't think I have to overthink this one. We just love eating fast food. <laughs> See, our ears hear, but our hearts reject. See, the big problem for Israel, and actually the big problem for the world at large, is that we love our sin more than God. We love living on our terms rather than God's terms. God tells us in John 3.19 that, that people in general love darkness, not light. Left to ourselves, we choose life without God. But the good news of this passage is that because God is so gracious, he actually won't leave us to ourselves. Sinners will return back to God because God himself will do something to fix our heart problem. And we see that come out in his promise to Israel in verse 6. Look at what it says. Verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Now, to have a circumcised heart, it sounds a bit odd if you've never heard that expression before, um, but it simply means to have a radical change take place in your desires and your attitudes. God promises that he will one day change the hearts of his people so that they will love him and serve him and enjoy his blessings. See, in the depth of Israel's sin and judgment, Israel's later prophets actually cling to this hope and they proclaim to the people God's promise of this future change. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 36, I will give you a new heart, says the Lord. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people 
and I will be your God. Now, while there was some repentance demonstrated following Israel's exile, and while they did return to the land, it never really matched the extent of the blessings depicted here. Uh, They got the temple, but it kind of wasn't as good as the former one. But what we learn in the New Testament is that ultimate heart change comes through faith in Jesus. See, Jesus pays for our sin and makes us right with God through his death on the cross. He sends us the Spirit who changes our hearts to love God and follow him more and more. In turning to Jesus, we get life now and life for eternity to come. Israel is told here that turning back to God will bring life. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter makes that same point, but says that turning to God's Son and Saviour Jesus is turning to God. That's who we turn to now. This is what the Apostle Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him, that is Jesus, will be completely cut off from their people. See, life is found now in turning to Jesus. Life is found in saying, no longer my way, but your way, Jesus. And so that, I guess, leads to the question, have we found life in turning to Jesus? Uh, Maybe you're still figuring things out with God, Uh, But maybe you wonder whether God would actually have you back if you did actually come to him by trusting Jesus. Uh, God's relationship with Israel, I think, is evidence to us that we're actually never too far away to come back. Uh, I used to have a friend that would come with me to Bundy, and he wasn't uh, a Christian. He had a very rough background. And one of the things that he would always say and that he he struggled with was the idea that God will actually be willing to take him back if he did repent. Uh, You see, he felt too far away and would often say that actually going to church was one of the scariest places that he ever went to. Because when he was at church, that's when he truly felt he was a lost cause to the holy God he was hearing about. But see, look at verse 4. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under heavens, from there the Lord will gather you and bring you back. God welcomes to himself people who have ignored him, rejected him, mocked him, and actually rightly deserve his judgment. Uh, There's a story I once heard that I think captures this idea of repentance. Uh, It was of a teenage girl who lived with her parents in outer suburbia. Uh, Her parents loved her and cared for her deeply. But the girl lacked any real affection for her parents. She quietly resented all the rules and curfews that they had. 
Uh, she kind of got annoyed every time they asked her to help with the dishes or be nice to her siblings. And then one day she just kind of had enough of it all, enough of living under their roof. So she packed up her things, stole her mother's jewellery, raided her dad's wallet, and then left, leaving a note that simply said, I'm leaving, don't contact me. Uh, for the next five years, this a girl suffered through a string of crummy part-time jobs, uh, bad relationships, and a general underlying fear for her safety. Uh, then one day she spotted her parents with her siblings out at the shopping centre. Uh, she stood back at a distance and simply watched them. And as she watched her parents buying food for her siblings and having a bit of a laugh with them in the food court, uh, her heart simply sank. For the first time, she saw with absolute clarity how she had thrown away genuine love, provision and security that was bound up in her parents. And in that moment, she wanted it back again. And so with a humble heart, the following day, she headed back home. Uh, but as she got to the front gate, she suddenly stopped and thought, well, I want to go back to my parents, but will my parents want me back after how I've treated them? So instead of entering the house that day, she actually left them a note in the letterbox that simply said, uh, this is your runaway daughter. I'm sorry and I want to come back. If you will have me, please let me know by tying a white handkerchief to the front gate. Well, the next day she walked up to the house to see whether there was that white handkerchief there. Well, there wasn't just a white handkerchief tied to that letterbox. The whole house and front yard was covered in white linen. Huge white bed sheets hanging from the veranda, white tablecloths tied to the fence, white pillow slips, white tea towels hanging out of the windows, draped over the shrubs. The message was clear. Her parents wanted her back. And that day her parents welcomed her back. See, perhaps you're here tonight and you know that God is not part of your life. Perhaps you know that you've been saying to God, my way, not your way. And we got the warning last week that to keep living that way will end up in misery. In the misery of God's final judgment. Cut off from God's eternal life. But here in verses 1 to 10, it's like God is hanging up those sheets for us. He's saying, I want you to come home. I, want you to keep living a I don't want you to keep living a life apart from me that ends in judgment. If you turn to my son Jesus, you'll find life. I won't be angry at you any longer for your sin, but I will show compassion, verse 3. You will live, verse 6. And I will delight in you, verse 9. Life is found in turning to Jesus. But second, life comes through holding fast to God. 
In verses 11 to 20, Moses turns his attention from Israel in the future to Israel in the present. But the message is actually the same for both future and present. You cannot live without God. So hold fast to him in the present. Trust him and live by his clear and accessible word. Now, I suspect most of us like things to be clear in life, particularly when there's quite a lot at stake. We like our job descriptions to be clear so that we know what we're supposed to be doing and keep our employment. We like our questions on exams to be clear so that we know how to answer correctly and get a good grade. Well, God is saying to Israel, when it comes to knowing the way of life, I've been very clear with you. I've not given you a word that's too difficult to understand or hidden from your sight. It's actually been clear. See, look at what he says in verses 11 to 14. Now, what I'm commanding to you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, Israel doesn't need Indiana Jones to go on an epic quest to find God's will and word for them and then to explain it to them. Israel has it there, written in the book of the law, given to them by God. That word tells them to trust God, love him, obey him. Israel's failure to find life and blessing in the land will never be because they didn't hear or understand God's word. It will be because they simply did not want to listen to it. So God says to Israel, don't make that mistake. Choose life by holding fast to me and obeying the word I've given you. Uh, Last year, Ruth and I went to a helpful information night on parenting I put on here at Bundy. And one of the helpful things that we learnt from that night was uh, a method by which to deal with kind of stubborn toddlers. Not that we have one. Um, The approach is referred to as the good choice, bad choice model. Don't you love that little girl kicking that boy down? It's just so so random. Now, it's probably easier for me to describe how we've been applying this. Uh, Let's say our daughter is kicking up a fuss about brushing her teeth at night. Uh, So we say, okay, you can make a good choice or a bad choice. The good choice is, is, is that you listen to us. You brush your teeth without any complaining, and then we have three stories before bed. The bad choice is that you ignore us. We then make you brush your teeth, and you go to bed with no stories. Good choice or bad choice? In the last part of this passage, God presents Israel with the good choice, bad choice options going into the promised land. Israel, you can make a good choice or a bad choice. The good choice is, verse 16, that you love me. Walk in obedience to me, keep my commands, decrees and laws, because then you will live and increase. 
and I'll bless you in the land that you're going in to possess. Or the bad choice, verse 17, that you turn away from me. Become disobedient and love other gods. Because then, verse 18, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. See, Israel only has two options. Verse 15, life and prosperity or death and destruction. Now, when Ruth and I are laying out the good choice, bad choice options, the truth is that we desperately don't want to have to deliver on the bad choice. We will if we have to, but we don't want to. You see, we love our daughter and want her to experience the blessing of listening to us, not the pain of ignoring us. And so we say to to said child in those moments, sweetie, we don't want you to miss out on stories, so please make a good choice. Well, whatever love we have for our kids at home, it pales in comparison for God's love for his people. And so we see him calling out to them to make the good choice, don't we? Look at what he says through Moses in verse 19. This day I call heavens, I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel, my precious children, make the good choice. Hold fast to me, listen to me, obey me, live. You see, this is the great tragedy of Israel's history. Throughout uh, their their history, through their idolatry and persistent rejection of God, they essentially tell their loving father, we want to make the bad choice. We choose death. The prophet Isaiah sums up Israel's apostasy and rejection of God like this in chapter 65. God says, all day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my face. See, Israel's history was littered with bad choices that ended in judgment. Now, we saw earlier that even in judgment and exile, those Israelites who turned back to God could still find forgiveness and life and blessing, praise God. But the sad fact is that many of them did not find this. Many remained stubborn towards God, even in his judgment, and so they perished. See, if we at the 5pm service don't want to end up like the future generations of Israel, we need to keep making that good choice of trusting Jesus for the long haul so that we remain in the life that he promises to give us. See, the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus 
is actually the fulfillment of this law, the fulfillment of the entire law. The Apostle Paul calls Jesus that very near word that we read of here and that we need to hold fast to. See how Paul uses Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 and 13, and what he says of Jesus. Here, here it is in, uh, in Romans 10, from verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to, uh, to, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend to the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To hold fast to Jesus is to hold fast to life. He is God's very clear word made flesh that will save us. So are we holding fast to Jesus? Are you choosing life by listening to him and doing what he says? Israel's history, I think, is a warning to us of that risk of drifting away. You see, sometimes I think uh, it can actually be quite hard to be a Christian. Hard to keep saying yes to Jesus and no to our sinful desires. Uh, sometimes we can get jaded by church or people in the church. We can be annoyed at what God is not giving us, scared by what a life of faith will cost us. All these uh, things are the sort of things that led Israel astray and into the arms of useless idols. See, if we don't keep seeing Jesus as the only source of eternal life through all of these things, that slow drift starts to begin. Coming to church just seems to feel like a bit of a waste. Reading the Bible starts to feel like a bit of a waste. But we need to keep remembering that Jesus is on our side. He's our saviour. He died for us. He has brought us to God through his life, death, and resurrection. He will one day take us to be with him forever. We need to keep choosing life by trusting him and listening to his voice, verse 20. And notice that it's actually not just about us. Our choice to listen to Jesus actually impacts our children too, verse 19. This is a comment I just want to briefly make. Verse 19 says, Choose life that so, so that you and your children may live. Now this obviously isn't so relevant to that many of you here, but it is something worth remembering uh, into your future should you have kids. You see, you'll be the main means by which your children hear and see the message of life in Jesus. God is calling you to choose life for your sake and for the sake of your children. Now, in God's grace, children can grow to know and trust Jesus without Christian parents, but actually, as a general rule, if kids see their parents ignoring Jesus in the little choices of life, it's more likely that they will start to ignore Jesus in those little choices and then big choices of life. See, if I'm not living like 
the Lord Jesus is my life, verse 20, it's more likely that my children will not live as though the Lord Jesus is their life. Some of you have just become parents or about to become parents. And I'm sure what you want for your baby is to live a good life. We, we long for them to be happy. We long for them to have good careers. Uh, we saw this with Richard Chin's testimony. His dad pleaded with him to keep being a doctor. But let me encourage you new parents to remember the truth that Richard Chin knew. The best life, the life which is eternal life with God, is found in relationship with Jesus. So the best thing you can do for your child is to make Jesus your priority. Love Jesus, listen to Jesus, choose life. Uh, The message of Deuteronomy 30 uh, is simple. You can't live without God. Life is only found in turning to God through coming to Jesus. Life only continues as we hold fast to God through faith in Jesus. And just in closing, I briefly want to suggest three final ways that you might like to respond to this message of life in Jesus tonight. You might like to respond on that Connect card that you received as you came in the door, but you don't have to. But the first way that you can respond, this is for those particularly who are not yet followers of Jesus. I would encourage you to investigate Jesus in further detail. Uh, As we've heard tonight, the Bible makes the claim that following Jesus is a matter of life and death. There's no middle ground, no sitting on the fence. We either choose to turn to him and find forgiveness and life, or we choose to keep him at arm's length, remain guilty before God because of our sin and face his judgment. Now, they are big claims. And I think their claims worth investigating in further detail. So if you would like to investigate those claims, if you'd like to find out more about Jesus, um, I'm actually running a seven-week course called Christianity Explored beginning uh, the 10th of March on Tuesday nights for seven weeks. If you'd like to be involved in something like that, uh, let me know on the Connect card. Uh, I think it would be a helpful course for you to do. Uh, But secondly, I encourage you to seek help. For those of you who are already followers of Jesus but are struggling in your faith, I would encourage you to seek help. See, my prayer for the 5pm service is that we actually all make it to that last day holding fast to Jesus and joyfully enter into eternal life together. But occasionally as Christians, we face tough questions about our faith, tough circumstances, and tough temptations. And all these things can make it actually just hard for us to keep persevering. Sometimes we just get weary of being Christian. If you are finding that to be the case, then I encourage you to seek help. You can mention that again on the Connect card. You can speak to me or another one of the pastors following the service, but we're actually in this together. God has given us a church family so that we can help each other in trusting Jesus and growing in him. We want to help you. And if you're open to it, we'd also love to help arrange someone in the congregation to meet with you, to read God's word, to encourage you 
and to pray with you. That's also an option on the Connect card. But third, be help. For those of you who are a Christian and have both the desire but also the availability to meet up with someone to encourage them in their faith, I'd love to support you in that. I know that many of you are serving and encouraging others in many great ways, and that's wonderful. Don't want to take you away from those things. Uh, But every so often, for various reasons, someone in the congregation mentions that they would like to meet up with someone uh, to read the Bible and to pray or to be encouraged. So if there are some of you who would like to do this, I would love to let, I'd love you to let me know on the Connect card as well. I'll follow you up. I'll chat about the who, what, where, how, when questions. But this is just another way that we can keep helping each other to hold fast to the life that Christ offers. Well, God's word has shown us tonight that we cannot live without God. Uh, God's word has also shown us that if we turn to Jesus and hold fast to him, we will live forever with God. Uh, That is great news that I'm going to thank God for now. And then together we'll sing of this great news uh, in our next song, My Heart Is Yours Now. The band will come up. So uh, let me pray as we close. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you. Uh, that you have sent your son Jesus to us. Uh, Father, we acknowledge that there is no life without you. Father, we thank you that we can have life with you through faith in Jesus. Thank you for his death that brings forgiveness for our sins. Thank you that he lives now to give life and your spirit to all who call on his name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.